0: Today's episode sponsored by Sword and Scale Podcast. Sword and Scale Podcast, found on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of State of Fear Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. Not joining me this week is my co-host, James, because he's on a much-deserved vacation up in the gorgeous state of Colorado. James, we miss you, but we'll see you next week. Uh, Joining me today instead is a very special guest. Her name is Emily. She's from the Fantastic Drink Drunk Dead podcast. Welcome, Emily.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for uh, being on. It took us about four and a half thousand years to get together to do this, but... um,
1: I'd say that's a fairly accurate estimate.
0: Yeah, it's probably on the low side, actually. but uh, Maybe a little. (laughs) But uh, before we get started into what the episode is about today, why don't you tell the folks at home about your podcast?
1: Oh, well, it's pretty simple. It's all in the name. Drink, drunk, and then dead. So we have a few drinks. We tell you about what we're drinking. We get a little drunk, tell a few jokes, some weird facts, and then we tell you about some poorly researched paranormal stories (laughs) they're usually pretty entertaining
0: i I appreciate the honesty with the poorly researched (laughs) but um i can tell y'all folks from listening they're not poorly researched they're they're pretty well researched um even if uh they do have a lot of bickering the bickering is the best part between you and joe i love it
1: (laughs) when we pick on each other yeah i
0: love (laughs) especially when you pick on him for not having seen or heard about something and then vice versa that's fantastic
1: He just doesn't, he doesn't watch any movies. So you cannot do any kind of cultural reference with him. He won't get it.
0: (laughs) And do you watch a lot of movies?
1: I've watched, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Simple answer. Yes.
0: (laughs) You know, that's very funny. That is actually how my wife and I are. She has not seen a lot. um, And I have seen a ton. So uh, there's, there's, there are a lot of cultural references lost on her as well.
1: It stinks, man. You try to lay down a joke and they just it goes right over their head.
0: I know, I know. Or, or you try to you try to point out an actor from something else, they're like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, oh, never
2: mind. Uh-huh, but, exactly. But
0: I also enjoy it because then, like, it's kind of like that feeling parents get when they show their kids Star Wars for the first time and they see the, the wonder in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Getting to show my wife all of these all the movies and stuff from the 70s and 80s, and because she she saw some of them in the 90s, but not a lot, but the 70s 80s and seeing her enjoying it for the first time is like me enjoying it for the first time all over again
1: if you can convince her to watch them right
0: you know what's so funny <laughs> the one that i thought i'd have the hardest trouble getting her to watch was the rocky series but i informed her that the rocky series and this this is my honest opinion the rocky series is not a sports series movies it's not a series about about him boxing it's a love story because throughout the movies, no matter how much he wants to box, his love for Adrian overcomes everything else. And so when I told her that, she watched it. And now she absolutely loves the Rocky series.
1: Does she think it's a love story too? She does. She does. And it is. Okay. If, if you
0: watch the first one, it's only about half fighting. The other half is Rocky going into the pet shop trying to hit on Adrian but being too nervous to do so because he's, he's super in love with her and trying to win her affection. That's what the first one's all about. So... Yeah, it, it's a love story. It's a love story for, for uh, that sake. It's also a love story for a man who loves to box, but he loves his family more. But yeah, so she loves it now. So you got to find awesome. creative, creative ways to get people to watch certain movies, you know.
1: I try to con him into watching horror movies. It's a challenge because he does <laughs> not like scary things, which is part of the comedy in our podcast is he hates the paranormal. It he scares does. the tar out of him.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he When we first started it, he would complain about all the nightmares that he would have from doing the stories. We had to do some funny things, some lighthearted stuff for a little while because it freaked him out so bad.
0: Oh my gosh. So what was the, what was the thing that scared him the most?
1: It just, it's the paranormal, the the unknown, the idea of something being there that he doesn't, doesn't see
0: like the old hag syndrome or just Mm ghost at the foot foot of the bed.
1: Thinking about something whispering in his ear. We have, We've had activity around the house, and he recognizes that we've had activity here, okay. but he tries to ignore it and pretend <laughs> that it doesn't happen
2: because it scares him. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> you see, my my wife doesn't like scary movies because she's very easily uh, um, she's very easily uh, what do you call it when uh, susceptible to that kind of stuff, and so um she can't shut it down after she watches it so she'll go to bed and have horrible nightmares and so Mm -hmm. uh there have been a few things i've been been able to get her to watch like uh tucker and dale versus evil and it's not
1: really scary no no
0: it's still a horror film because it's you know it's like a slasher Mm -hmm. film but it's it's got a different uh uh, smart spin on it which i think she appreciated and it's not i think the thing that gets her the most she says is jump scares And there's no jump scares in that. There's barely any gore, actually, for all the all the body parts that come off and all the like like that one guy goes in the wood chipper. There's Mm -hmm. I think I think the wood chipper kill has the most blood. Other than that, there's not too much blood. Uh, I recently got her to watch The Final Girls. Have you seen that one? Mm -mm. Oh, my God, that's great. Great movie. (laughs) It's it's very much in that vein. Um, It's about this girl whose mom was in a Friday the 13th, uh, a knockoff film in the 80s. Um, her mom dies and then there's this theater sh- showing a, a double feature of the films one night and she goes and um, through a certain set of circumstances they end up in that film her and her four friends end up in the film and so they have to survive the film in order to get out
1: okay that's definitely an interesting concept
0: yeah so if it's a very it's a very uh, good movie very much in the vein of that um, But we do have bad movie night every Friday with some friends over Zoom where we watch really, really bad horror films. And she can watch those because they're so absolutely terrible that they don't scare anybody.
1: Like Plan 9 from Outer Space?
0: No, that's actually too good for our movie nights. We're talking. Okay, let me, let me give an example. We saw one recently called Carousel about a unicorn on a carousel that came to life after being abused and went on a killing spree.
2: Who
1: gets money for these things?
0: I don't know. But apparently there's a sequel apparently that's being made. It was <laughs> it was the funniest damn thing I'd ever seen in a long time. I mean, it, it's it's very much material from my other podcast, What the Suck. But that's the kind of stuff that we watch. And it was, you know, it was, it was a typical bad green screen whenever the unicorn was on, mm-hmm. was on screen. But it, it, it's on Amazon Prime. It got, it was able to get on Amazon Prime. So somebody's paid for that. Somebody paid for it. Somebody, somebody spent some money on that thing and then paid <laughs> to have it on Amazon. Amazon said, you know what? Sure, put it on there.
1: It's up, It sounds like it's right up there with uh, Thanks Killing and Zombievers.
0: Yes, yes, that's exactly. What, and uh, have you seen Jack Frost? From the 90s? Not the Michael Keaton one. The other one.
1: No, no, the other one. The really yeah. dark one.
0: The one where the snowman comes to life is from the Sears. Uh-huh, lore. yeah. yeah. Right, yep. up, right up that same I- sort of thing, too.
1: That was a twisted movie.
0: <laughs> that movie was hilariously bad. Um, yeah, well, we're, okay, we're getting on topic here, but uh, <laughs> I can talk about movies all night long. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited for the idea we came up with for a crossover. Recently, I did a rest stop episode. So for those who don't know, um, rest stop are our bonus episodes on State of Fear that you can find on our Patreon um, starting at the $5 level. And um, they're just bonus episodes that have nothing to do with a particular state, um, more just something that we're interested in that has to do with the paranormal, true crime or whatever. The first one I did was with the interview with Bree Carnegie, a paranormal investigator who has worked with Zach Bagans and, and um, Dave Schrader and all that. And then the second one I did was a review of the Netflix Unsolved Mysteries, as well as a sort of history of the original Unsolved Mysteries, because I grew up watching that show every single week. and. Loving it, but also being scared shitless by it. <laughs> you know, Robert Stack, his voice, man, I mean, it echoes into today. And then that theme song. And then he was always in a trench coat, always in a creepy area where there's always fog and it's always dark. Mm-hmm. And but I couldn't I couldn't stop watching. It It was so great. Um, did you ever watch it growing up?
1: Oh, yeah. Who didn't?
0: OK, well, there are people who didn't. I'm surprised to learn. Like, of course, my. My illustrious co-host James—he didn't watch it.
1: James is a little older, though, isn't he?
0: Uh, probably about twenty years. About twenty years, I think, something like that. Yeah, I think. He okay,
1: had, so it no, might have been a, like a generational thing. Maybe you 15. and I are pretty close to the same age. Yeah,
0: because I'm forty.
1: Yeah, I'm thirty six. So. Okay,
0: yeah. So we're we're about we're about the right age. But um, I'm pretty sure he he watched um, In Search of Growing Up, which was like the predecessor to mm-hmm. Unsolved Mysteries. But uh, you know, I still watch it when 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 Amazon when uh, film rights bought the rights and then put it on Amazon they put it on like a season at a time I think every couple of weeks they put another season but man when they put that back on because that was the first time you were able to legally watch it in over two decades because before that I would watch it illegally on YouTube <laughs>
2: tisk, tisk I know <laughs> hey
0: <laughs> I, you know, it's not my fault. Some guy was, was kind enough to, to upload, I guess he had VHS copies, upload all his VHS copies to YouTube. Did you,
1: did you see the, like the little yes. scribble? Oh my God. I'm not <laughs> even kidding,
0: Emily. Some of them even had commercials.
1: Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. those must've
0: been so good. It was fantastic. I was like, cause I would, I would, uh, listen to them and, and half watch them when I'd be at work. Yeah, sort of background noise. And then as I, I'd be listening to it, an episode and all of a sudden a commercial would come on and I'm like, what the hell was that? And it'd be like commercial for like Burger King or something for the nineties. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that takes me back. But then when Amazon put them on, I must've watched them God, like three times that first week, each each season dropped because it was, it was amazing.
1: It is a good show. Yeah. I just, I always remember the eyeshadow that they put on him. It was like this purpley silvery blue, Yeah, and he looks so serious, and then you see the eyeshadow. Yeah, (laughs) wait a minute.
0: And and that was the
1: one stopping point right there.
0: I, I, you know, I'm assuming because they did so many dark areas that they needed something to. I feel like. I mean, this is probably false. I don't know. I feel like maybe his makeup artist might have been like a mortician (laughs) who just (laughs) knew how to make people look good in in low light. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, there's a lot of bright colors and odd colors that, that they normally wouldn't use.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's you, we're looking at it on digital televisions. Yes. Remember what we watched it on growing up? Oh, hell yeah. Our quality was not good. We had the no. TV that you literally had to tune and dial in.
0: Yeah. 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 And like had like the turn knobs. And, and then, uh, if you're lucky, you got one with a remote. You know, and Mm -hmm. you got more than like three channels.
1: That had like two big ass buttons, and that was it. We had up, down, and a power.
0: I thought we were fancy when we got one of those big ass consoles where it was like the TV was built into like a cabinet or something. You know, it was Mm -hmm. freaking huge and it like covered up the whole wall. I thought we were fancy then, but even then, that's still like that's me. That's not even four eighty p. That's still like three (laughs) twenty, but it's but it's stretched out so like you can tell how bad the quality is even more because it's like Uh it's like it's like watching it through like a big magnifying glass.
1: Did it have the speakers down the side?
0: It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. It was great until we had to the move, then moving that was a bitch.
1: That that was the one reason that you had to have somebody come help you move, was trying to move the television. Everything else you could manage, but getting the TV out of the house was <laughs> impossible.
0: <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, so we, we talked about doing a review of certain cases um, from Unsolved Mysteries, from the original Unsolved Mysteries, uh, for this episode, and... Um, I'm super excited with the stories that we got. Um, We each got one paranormal and then one true crime because we both cover uh, both on our shows. Uh, You cover some true crime, right?
1: We cover true crime from the perspective of paranormal.
0: Right, right. But there's still, I mean, there's still a little bit of in true crime because a lot of times paranormal, yeah, it kind of crosses over anyway, right?
1: It does. Yeah, I mean, you have haunted houses that are related to murders that occurred and, like right. the win- Wendigo episode that we just did. There was a, a recent murder that was tied to the Wendigo.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So so this is kind of along our vein anyway. So, yeah. Um. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Why don't you get started with your cases?
1: Okay. I'll start off with my personal favorite, which is Don Decker, the Rain Man.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember that episode. Go ahead.
1: So this is my, this is, I guess, my paranormal story, but... It's so cool. Okay. My sor- my sources were Mysterious Universe, Unsolved Mysteries, Paranormal Witness, and WNEP News.
0: Can I just uh, say that Mysterious Universe is one of my, um, it was the reason I got into podcasting.
1: Mysterious Universe?
0: Yes. I absolutely love that podcast. I listened to it for like the last 10 years and it just, it always amazes me.
1: Well, you're going to be mad I didn't realize it was a podcast.
0: It's Okay. So uh, no, I don't get mad at all because not many people know about it.
1: No, I had no idea. I mean, I I look up all the articles online. Yeah, they have some great stuff, but oh, I had yeah. no idea it was a podcast.
0: They they have great writers that write articles for them all the time, but um, mm-hmm. they they've been in podcasting. I, I'm I don't know if you know who um, ah, damn, what's that guy's name? I I did a an, an episode with him. Um, Jim Harold is. So it doesn't Jim, sound familiar. I'm having trouble with my damn microphone. Um, Jim Harold is another podcaster. He's sort of like the granddaddy of podcasting. He's up there with like, he's kind of like what podcasting is to like George Norian and, and late night radio and um, Art Bell. You don't know who those are either. No. Nope. Oh I, I feel like you talking to Joel now.
1: <laughs> I was never much of a radio person unless it was to listen to the hits and record them on tape for my secret crush at school. Oh, so.
0: I did that too all the time. Was isn't that a pain in the <laughs> ass having a recorder on the on the radio? Get it just right. I still
1: have those tapes. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah.
0: Shit. It always pissed me off when the damn DJ would talk through the beginning of the song. I'm like, shut uh-huh. the hell up. I want the beginning of the song, you jackass.
1: Or when they say the song is coming up and then it's like 12 songs later and oh, it finally comes up. Yeah. Constantly hit record, stop record.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <You> jerk. Uh- <laughs> I just want to hear my song. Yeah. So, uh, uh, um, real quick um Jim Harold is one of the first podcasters out there. His. He did a does a lot of um, paranormal podcasts. Matter of fact, his podcast is called the Paranormal Podcast, but he also has one called Campfires, which uh, which is people who send in their spooky tales. And then he also has a true crime one now. But uh, Mysterious Universe is sort of in that vein. I listened to him. I started listening to him about ten years ago, and before there was like the whole thing in Patreon, they did that thing where they offered a bonus monthly bonus thing, where for nine bucks a month you get uh, ad free versions of their episodes plus an extra episode each week that was only for people who subscribed, um, plus like 10% off their store and everything. And so like uh, I subscribed for like three years because all their extra bonus episodes were fantastic, full of crazy. I heard some of the craziest like cryptid and, and and Bigfoot and alien stories I have ever heard in my life from that show.
1: Dang it, and I missed out.
0: Yeah. You, I'm going to have to check it out. You got to check it out. It, it, it's available everywhere, but uh, it's it's one of the, greatest podcasts out there because they they they, they're based in australia they were so popular with their their podcast that i think six five or six years into it they had enough subscribers that they were both able to stop their full-time jobs and just do the podcast full-time and so like all wouldn't
1: that be the dream that is the dream
0: (laughs) all they do is like buy they they have like a huge library of books because they buy books and they read it all week and then they do episodes on what they read and that is the ultimate uh, uh, like dream right there for me.
1: No kidding.
0: Yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, um, you were gonna say your sources were mysterious universe, unsolved mysteries,
1: paranormal witness, and WNEP news.
0: All right. So let's get into this.
1: All right. So back. We're we're gonna step back a little bit. On February 26th of 1983, Don Decker had been given a furlough from his four to 12 month prison sentence. Oh. So okay. They gave him a furlough so that he could attend his grandfather's funeral in Stroudsburg, PA, which is my home state.
0: Wow, cool.
1: I don't know where Stroudsburg is, though. Pennsylvania is a big state. I don't know
0: most (laughs) of it.
1: (laughs) So uh, Don had been sentenced for receiving stolen property. Okay. Not that it's particularly pertinent to the story. I just thought it was an interesting little tidbit. I agree. Don definitely didn't mourn his grandfather that day. He was not sad. Okay. In actuality, he really loathed his grandfather. What others didn't know at the time and what he would later claim is that his grandfather had begun abusing him at age seven. Oh, jeez. So Don and his mother didn't really get along and she refused to let him stay under her roof while he was on furlough. And I wasn't able to find whether that had to do with his criminal past or his claims about his grandfather. So I don't okay. know if at this point he'd already disclosed that to her, mm-hmm. or if she was just like, "You, you've been in jail. You're no longer my son."
0: Can't trust like, you. And no, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, for receiving stolen property.
0: Yeah. Either way, it's kind of sad because you know, I mean, it is. It's sad that the mother. If 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 it was, if it did have to do with the grandfather, it's sad that the mother did not believe him.
1: Yeah. Well. From what I've gathered about Don is there, there are a lot of shady things about his past and his stories and just his interactions with other people. Okay. So it it may have been just an overall trust issue.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: He, He had had a troubled life. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly, host of Southern Fried True Crime. I cover
2: contemporary and historical cases and I love listener suggestions. And like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone and anything. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format, kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find
1: me
0: on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. Okay, okay.
1: So since he couldn't stay with her while he was furloughed, he went to stay with some friends, Bob and Jeannie Kiefer. Later that night at his friend's house, he went to the bathroom and he suddenly felt this really cold chill, and he felt really faint and collapsed to the floor. Okay. He says that he fell into a trance and saw the apparition of his grandfather while he was on the floor. And when he came to from the trance, he had scratches on his forearms and wrists that were bleeding, and they said it was it was deep enough that the blood was running down his arm.
0: So he, he had sort of like a poltergeist experience then.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was whatever it was, was aggressive. Yeah. So he went downstairs where Bob was and um, Bob saw that he had the blood running down his arm. So he told Bob that he hadn't done it to himself. And as they're talking about what happened, they both start to hear these loud banging noises that are coming from somewhere on the second floor. Okay. And at the same time, this is when it gets really weird. Water began to fall from the ceiling and drip down the walls. At first, it was just a little bit, so they thought maybe we have a leak or something. He okay. had just been in the bathroom. All right. But it started to get more and more intense. So naturally, the keepers they they freak out and they turn to find Dawn in yet another trance. Weird. In the water, it with the water falling from their ceiling, the keepers decided to call their landlord Ron and explain the weird situation. Yeah. I don't know if they really gave him a full idea of what he was going to see when he walked in that door. Uh But when Ron arrived with his wife to check out the house, he found that water wasn't just falling from the walls and the ceiling like a normal leak. It was bubbling up from underneath the floor. Oh, jeez. And he was really baffled, thinking it had to be something that was plumbing, but couldn't figure out how because there weren't even any pipes on that side of the house.
0: Wow, that's cool.
1: Yeah, it's, and it gets weirder. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He said there was basically nothing there that the water could have come from. There was no source. After watching it for a while, he says, I discovered that it wasn't only coming from the ceiling down. It would come from the wall over or from the floor up. There was no basic direction that it was coming from. It could come from anywhere. So it was going horizontally. It was going from down to up. It was shooting across the room
0: wow that's and it looked like it was raining holy wow okay yeah i um yeah i don't have any any explanation for that at all myself
1: no i i don't think there's anybody that can tell you how the water goes from your feet up if you're not splashing it
0: yeah wow okay all right go on
1: so at this point not knowing what else to do they called the police which I can only imagine the caller, on, the <laughs> person taking the call on the other end is like, what, you have what going on? <laughs> what, what do you yeah. want us to do here? Yeah. So the two officers that arrived were Richard Wolbert and John, I'm going to butcher this last name, <laughs> Bojan, Bojan,
2: Bojan,
0: John Bojan. Okay.
1: I like that one. We'll go with John Bojan.
0: John Bojan. I like that. Yeah.
1: It sounds very Creole.
0: It does, actually. Yeah, it sounds very, uh, <laughs> very Louisiana.
1: Uh-huh. In Pennsylvania.
0: In, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> He's
1: bringing the spice to PA. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Somebody's got to, right? <laughs> yep. Sorry, PA. <laughs> Bland.
1: <laughs> when they entered the house, they found, th- it was a wild scene. The water wasn't just falling. It was coming up from the floor. It's hovering in midair. It's traveling horizontally into adjacent rooms. So it's not only in this <gasps> one room.
0: That sounds like a cool movie. I can picture it in my head. That's crazy.
1: I couldn't imagine walking into something like this. Oh my gosh. And the whole time, this whole time, Don is just sitting there in a trance, looking incredibly sick and pale. Okay. So the police tell the keepers to take Don across the street to this pizzeria while they get the supervisor, their supervisor, and try to explain what's happening. So they're trying, because they don't know what to do. They're trying to get somebody else out here to look at it and figure out where do we go from here? Don walked outside first, and as soon as he did, the rain stopped falling inside of the house.
0: Now, did it say whether the house was dry at that point, or was it still wet from all the rain?
1: I didn't see.
0: Okay. Very curious about that. But yeah, uh, that's... So, did it rain outside when he walked outside, or did it just stop on no. the inside?
1: Uh, n- no. I think it stopped altogether. Wow. Okay. And the keyfers were... Uh, understandably stumped and the landlord is and the cops, everybody's going, okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Nobody could explain it. Right. So they, the group of them just went across the street with Don to the pizzeria. When they got to this restaurant, they sat down with restaurant owner, Pam Soprano, who I gathered was because she's directly across the street. I think that she knew the Kiefer's pretty well. She was a family friend as well as, as being the restaurant owner a place for them to turn in this moment. Okay. So as they're sitting there talking, Don's still in his trance, and they're trying to explain to Pam what was going on, and then water starts to fall from the ceiling and flow down the walls of the restaurant.
0: Oh, man. That's cool. Pam.
1: And- yeah.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Only inside, right? Yeah. Good thing he's not in a car. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I-,
0: I mean... Uh... That's got to be annoying, too, because you can get soggy pizza. Nobody likes soggy pizza. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you want it your just crust. It ruins to, everything. It ruins Did everything. It,
1: I don't know if it only rained where he was sitting in that one room or if it was in the whole restaurant. So was it going on back in the grill? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't see that in the details, but that would be interesting to know if it's only in his direct vicinity.
0: Yeah. Either way, I mean, I don't know what would be creepier just seeing rain falling on him like it's like a cartoon or something, you know, like a sad cloud above him mm-hmm. or if the entire restaurant all of a sudden started raining, I don't know what'd be creepier.
1: I think probably it's weird to watch it happen to somebody else. It's really scary when it affects you too. So if you're in that space with him yeah, and it's doing it to you and you can't, there's really no way for you to get away with from it. Yeah. And just sitting there like he doesn't even care about a thing or doesn't notice anything because he's in a trance. So Pam, the restaurant owner, who was a pretty religious person, she immediately concludes that he, he must be possessed and it must be him that's causing the rain. So she runs over to the cash register where she kept a crucifix because, you know, that's like the normal place to keep a crucifix.
0: Yeah. Right. Right next to the Parmesan cheese. Yeah.
1: Uh huh. Every place I've ever worked, there was definitely a crucifix in the cash register.
0: Yes. I mean, it's it's what you pull out when you're getting robbed. Hopefully the, the robber is uh, mm-hmm. Christian and won't rob you at that point.
1: Or possessed, and then you can scare the demons away.
0: Oh, I didn't think about that. There you go. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So she grabs the crucifix, and she brings it back to the table, and she puts it in Don's hand, which she said immediately burned him and snapped him out of the trance.
0: So he was possessed? That sounds like possession to me.
1: Well, there's more. Okay, go on. There's more to maybe make you think that he's possessed later. But the question would really be, who's possessing him? Is it his grandfather, since he saw his it, nothing of this happened until he saw his grandfather in that bathroom.
0: But typically, human souls can't possess other other humans. It's usually like a some sort of non human entity.
1: Uh, I've well, no, because Hitler and Judas have possessed.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Um, and c- truly considered evil people. I did a story called about Gottlieb and Didis, mm-hmm. which was a possession in mid 1800s in germany and she was possessed by human souls that were themselves possessed
0: okay so they were the human souls were possessed by demons
1: Mm -hmm.
0: okay okay
1: so there is some precedent Mm -hmm. for being possessed by human souls
0: okay well can i say that this whoever is possessing him is probably one of the weakest of demons i've ever heard of because i'm sorry rain is not the worst thing you can have (laughs) happen to somebody you know that
1: mm, that's fair
0: I mean, unless your goal is to make him really annoyed by having pruning fingers all the time, I don't see what the problem is with all the rain.
1: Well, and you would almost think that having it rain would be a sign of something holy because of the baptism and Mm -hmm. and holy water and what water is supposed to be cleansing. Yeah. So you would think it would be something holy rather than something evil.
0: Exactly. See, I would assume evil would be like acid rain. If he made it rain acid rain on him, <laughs> that's evil. Rain is just like, oh, well, thanks. I needed to, I uh, needed a bath today anyway. So um, it's like, a, it's a walking shower basically.
1: But I really forgot to water my ficus today. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'd be fantastic. You could save so much money on your water bill by just walking around your yard.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so the water keeps falling and it's flooding the floor of the restaurant because they probably have a tile floor.
0: Yeah, okay.
2: It's a restaurant. Mm-hmm.
1: So so the keepers decided to take Don back to their house. So he's out of his trance and the rain is still falling this time.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, it's getting worse. Which,
1: which is wow. a little different. Yeah. Again, as soon as he leaves the restaurant, the the rain stops, the water stops. And then it begins again as soon as he enters the home.
0: <laughs> That's poor guy. He just wants to go <laughs> somewhere quiet. He can't go anywhere.
1: I feel bad for these people that are trying to put him up and all their stuff is ruined. because. <laughs> Oh, that's a lot of water damage. Is
0: a lot, yeah. And then they have it happen again, and anywhere he goes, it's like, where do I go? Do I go anywhere? You can't go to homeless shelter because you'll flood the homeless shelter.
1: You need some industrial strength hair dryers or something to dry <laughs> it all
0: out. It's like, look, look, man, you know what? Uh, we have a pool in the backyard. It's empty. Just go sleep in the pool.
1: <laughs> Just give him a floaty so he doesn't drown. There you go. So once they were back inside the home, the rain resumed. And everybody started to hear banging coming from the kitchen. So they, they all went to investigate. This is the cops. This is the keepers. This is the landlords. Okay. And and they all go in where they find pots and pans that are banging around violently and falling onto the floor. So they physically see these things just yeah. slamming around.
0: Still sounds more like a poltergeist than an actual uh, It does sound possession. like a poltergeist. I agree.
1: Yeah. It sounds kind of like, oh, who were the, the goodens? There's one of the, uh, I'll come back to it okay. in my brain, <laughs> when I remember. Okay. Gosh, the famous ghost hunters, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, the
0: Warrens. One of fir- oh. The Warrens
1: did one of their first cases, I think, was like the Gooden Poltergeist or something like that. And okay. it had something similar.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: This, this reminds me of that. Gotcha. And they had a uh, fireman that witnessed that. Cool. Yeah, it's good. It's kind of controversial, but it's a good one.
0: Everything the Warrens do is controversial. It's a goodin'. Oh, uh, you know what? Damn it. I need to get my, my little sound going. Whomp, womp. <laughs> I'll add it later. I'm proud of that one. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: okay, serious now.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So pots and pans are banging. Okay. The landlord and his, and his wife had also witnessed this. They began fighting with the keepers accusing them and Dawn of orchestrating the whole thing they think it's all just a big hoax okay and as they're in the middle of this fight they see Dawn get lifted up off the floor by some unseen force and they see him thrown several feet up against the wall so shortly after that the two officers return oh i guess they weren't there i lied earlier when i said that they were in the room with the banging pots
0: oh no that you, that see that right there that's not a good can, can I take it back? Take it. <laughs>
1: just put that one back.
0: I'll just switch it around.
1: Shortly after after Don gets thrown up against the wall, the two officers return and they come back with their chief, Gary Roberts. Upon entering the home, Chief Roberts witnesses everything that he'd been told. So he's standing there with the cops and the family and everybody. He sees it all happening. He was himself hit by water that's flying at strange angles through the rooms. Okay. But even though he's seeing this with his own eyes, he still proclaimed that the problem to, was a result of broken pipes.
2: Hmm.
1: And he instructed the two officers not to file a report or to speak of it to anybody. So not only is this, it's not a police matter, so right. we don't file a report or anything. Don't talk about it yeah, to anyone.
0: very It's very similar to the haunting uh, in England. The God, Now I'm having a brain fart it's uh, so one of my favorite cases it's the it's the one that was covered in conjuring 2 with the little girl oh crap anyway it's the one where the the mom and the girl and her, her kids were having things happen and they called the police in And when the constables came in they actually saw a chair move on its own mm-hmm. but in england instead of being like you know covering it up they actually wrote about it in their police report but yeah it's, it sounds very similar to uh that case a haunting and Haunting in bitch I can't think of the damn name. Anyway, go on.
1: <laughs> that's not Enfield, because Enfield. Yes, Enfield. Is it that's Enfield? Right. It's Enfield. Okay. Yes, that's the right. Enfield poltergeist.
0: Yes, yes, one of my favorite favorite poltergeist cases.
1: Have to do that one. Well, no, you can't do that. It's not states. Never mind. That, that'll probably unless be like you do a, an overseas trip.
0: See, I'm thinking about that. I'm doing like a like a international state of fear maybe at some mm-hmm. point. Maybe like another bonus episode or something because I do want to cover like. But then again, like our whole goal is to cover the more obscure cases. Like Enfield mm-hmm. is all over the place, but.
1: But I do it's want to cover fun.
0: it's so fun oh my god it's so fun especially when you, when you play when you listen to some of the recordings they got of, of the daughter in her, mm. in her demonic voice oh, so oh yeah cool. they're creepy aren't oh, they oh I love them I love them it's like, <laughs> it's like it's like bedtime music to me
1: um because um. <laughs> <laughs> your wife is like make sure you are wearing your headphones I
0: don't want to hear it <laughs> no at that point she's like go sleep on the couch I'm like, okay <laughs> bye honey
1: all right. So where was I with Don?
0: Oh, the police. Oh, the police yes, yes, this, yes.
1: So yeah. the police officer. Mm-hmm. He tells them not to tell anybody. Right. He also instructs them to completely drop the investigation, and they're told that they are not allowed to ever return to the house. Which is a pretty crummy thing to say to police officers. Like, what if something happens? Are these two not allowed to return this house to this house?
0: Tucked served my ass.
1: Right. He just he really wanted nothing to do with it, and he didn't. But the. Wow. I think what's really interesting is that both of these officers yeah. have stepped forward. They they give interviews all over the place about this because they're going. I don't want to to shut this up. Yeah, we know what we saw. Okay, even if if our boss won't let us write it down on paper, I'm going to tell you about it.
0: The boss is kind of a chicken shit, huh?
1: I mean, a police are supposed to be level headed and that how do you explain a situation like that how do you protect people from a situation like that what happens when somebody starts saying that they did something because the devil made them do it
0: uh that was it was another uh Warren case actually yeah
1: it was a Warren case mm-hmm. you are correct sir thank
0: you bing 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 point for me <laughs>
1: <laughs> so like i said they didn't listen right they actually returned to the house the next day with two other officers and found at that time that the rain had stopped wow okay so while they were there, one of the officers gave Don a crucifix to hold. So what I, from what I understand, the officer was kind of tucking it behind his back. He had this crucifix in his hand, okay. and he kept his hand closed, and he hands it off to Don without Don being aware of what he's getting. Okay. So Don gets it, closes his hand around it immediately. I don't know if he had his eyes shut or what, but as soon as he grabs the crucifix, he starts claiming that it's too hot and he's having a hard time keeping it in his hand. Mm. So naturally the officers are really skeptical yeah. until until Don once again levitates and gets thrown across the room with all four officers as witnesses to the event.
0: What in the hell?
1: So there were four trained police officers yeah. standing in the room with him when this happened and they all say, that they saw this happen.
0: Now, did they put that in report? Did it say?
1: I didn't see that. I would imagine probably not. Probably if they're not. even if they had written it down, they probably took it back to the station, and their their chief is like, "Nope, chuck it."
0: Yeah, damn.
1: I know, but uh. I mean, they they're talking about it, and they corroborate each other.
0: Yeah, that that's great. Uh, you know, as
1: well as everybody else that was there.
0: It's always great when you can find like a paper trail, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, so this, it doesn't mean it's like legit, but it always f- makes it feel a bit more legit when you can find a paper trail.
1: Mm-hmm. So at this point, you have Don, the Keefers, so the husband and wife, the landlord, husband and wife. You have Pam across the street, four officers. So that's 10 people right there, plus wow. the chief who's saying that he didn't see anything, but he was there, and they all say that he witnessed it. Okay. So you have at least 10 people that are agreeing on events.
0: That's a good amount of witnesses for one small event.
1: And that's only so far. There are more to come.
0: Whoa. All right. Get into it. Let's do it.
1: So after Don got thrown across the room in front of the officers, they go to help him up. And Don had three scratch marks on his neck that were bleeding. And they all witnessed these. There were some pictures of them online. They don't. You know how a lot of times in movies they look really, really stark?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: they, yeah. they look like normal scratch marks. Like if, if you were to scratch somebody else really hard where it gets really kind of welted and red yeah. and then you get that real thin line of blood. Mm-hmm. So it looked like legitimate scratches, I not have, movie theater scratches.
0: I have seen that actually in my investigation. So I know what you're talking about. Have you? Yes. So we've had quite a few members who have been scratched at locations and it's very much that way. It's not the deep werewolf scratches like in a door or something or flesh it's just tiny little yeah i know exactly what you're talking about
1: but it's that bright pink or yeah. red welt that raises up and you know that there's no other explanation for it. it's not like your clothes are going to do that
0: right right yeah
1: so the landlords ended up calling the local catholic churches because they wanted someone to come out and perform an exorcism This is on their property. He's staying there. I'm surprised they didn't just tell the keepers to kick him out, honestly. Yeah, really. But I'm I'm guessing that based on their observations, they said, okay, maybe this person needs some help. So they call all the Catholic churches. Nobody's going to come. They finally get an evangelical priest to come out and pray with Don. As this is happening, he reportedly convulses and rolls into a ball before finally calming down and saying that he feels much better. Wow. The next day, Don returns to prison to complete his sentence. Because remember, he was only on furlough for his grandfathers. And this is all like a two-day period. Okay. Back in prison, Don got this idea in in his head that he could control the rain. Control what was happening. Sorry, you probably hear my kitty in the background.
0: Oh, kitty, kitty.
1: Yep, they like to make a show. (laughs) so he started to concentrate really intensely on the idea of making it rain again and sure enough the water began seeping from the ceiling walls and floor all over again
0: she's controlling it at this point so he's becoming an x-men
1: yeah he he's aware of what it is and what how to get himself to the point to make it happen okay a guard was coming around doing checks Mm -hmm. came by and found water everywhere and you can't get away with that in prison. So he demanded to know what the heck Don was doing. And Don told him. Unsurprisingly, because the guard has no idea what's going on, he doesn't believe him. So he told Don to prove it by making it rain in the warden's office. Then the guard went over to Warden Keenhold's office. And when he walks in the door, he finds that the warden is sitting there examining a wet shirt really confused. So, and this is, this is from Warden Keenhold. He said this. He says, I was sitting at the desk writing a report. I was all by myself in the administration area. Nobody else was around. It was approximately eight in the evening. At the time, I didn't feel anything, but my shirt was drooping down. And right about the center of my sternum, about four inches long, two inches wide, I was just saturated with water. I was startled. I was scared. The officer was frightened at that particular time, and I just didn't have any explanation why it happened. So the guard had walked in, saw that the warden was suddenly wet. Yeah. The warden says, I don't know how this happened. Wow. And it's in an unusual, I mean, I guess if you are drinking water and you spill, but you probably feel yourself spill, especially that amount of water. Yeah, yeah. Because he's saying that he's pretty soaked through.
0: And that's up in, in, in PA, right? So like, it's not like down here in Texas where prisons are just naturally hot and sweltering and humid anyway.
1: Right, and... This, oh, what was the date? I think this was December, wasn't it?
0: Okay, so it's definitely cold. Up, so there should be no sweat going on whatsoever.
1: Oh, it's February. I lied. It's still cold. I knew right? it was yeah. winter. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah so that, that's definitely going to be a weird, a, a unusual reason or to have a spot on your shirt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Huh. Well, and the re- the really interesting thing about this is that at this time, nobody at the prison had heard anything about what was going on with Don, like with regards to him being a rainmaker. Okay. This wasn't news that had gotten out. So nobody knew about it. But the warden says that he really, he believed it once it was explained to him.
0: Oh, wow. That, because that's
1: he really felt there was no other explanation for it. So after this, and, and the explanation of what's going on, Warden Keenhold also decided to call a, in a religious ringer. He wanted to bring in somebody to kind of knock this, <laughs> knock this out. So he contacted Reverend William Blackburn. Blackburn came out and he, like everyone else, thought it was all made up and, and that Don was just basically creating the story or somehow manipulating the situation. So then as they're sitting there, Don slipped into a trance and the room filled with this the room filled with this foul stench and rain began to fall. So really stank. He just described it as being one of like the nastiest things he's ever smelled.
2: Huh.
1: And the at that moment the the minister goes, Okay, I need to do an exorcism. So he began reading from the Bible really frantically until the rain stopped and Dawn returned to normal. So he did this, it, it took him a little while. Okay. But the Bible, as he was reading, the mm-hmm. Bible never got wet. That's cool. Everything else got wet. The Bible did not get wet. So he witnessed the the rain was doing its horizontal track, the floor-to-ceiling track. Yeah. Same thing it had been doing everywhere else. So the Bible never got wet. Okay. He performs the exorcism. Don comes out of it. And that was the last time that the rain would ever appear. There are no other reports of the rain. So from what I I got from multiple reports, they all said that there were 10 witnesses. But when I count them up, there have to be at least 10.
0: At least 10. Yeah.
1: At least 10.
0: Okay. I mean, cause so, by, yeah, by then you're going like with the deputy and the, the the sheriff. That's at least 12 right there.
1: Yeah, I I would say, so we had 10 before he went back to prison. And then uh-huh. you have the warden, the guard, and the priest. So that's 13. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Lucky 13. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow.
1: So believers think that it really was a possession or a poltergeist, like you said, while skeptics think that it was just kind of like, um, like a mass hysteria that's really people were really stressed uh it's a combination of indoor winter moisture and stress which
0: indoor winter moisture that's a, that's a great you know i know that it. was the one that K-Sol. cracked me up K Sol, that's what it was that's what it was yeah
1: you know it gets so moist inside my house everybody loves that word it gets moist <laughs> <laughs> that my ceiling starts to attract water droplets
2: up
0: you know what though but going back to the mass hysteria that that doesn't make any sense because mass hysteria is usually uh Limited to a certain area and a certain number of people in a certain time, it doesn't extend to, you know, uh, from house to pizza. Even if it extended from house to pizzeria, it wouldn't extend to sheriff station because that's a whole different location. Right.
1: Well, okay, I could understand it if you think that there's something weird going on in the the house. Yeah. And people get worked up because they can't explain it, uh-huh. and they're worried. So then they go and they tell Pam what's going on, and she's a religious person that starts getting freaked out. So she starts to see it happen. Skeptics would say that you're planting an idea that that maybe there's a water drop that was already happening. Okay. It was February in Pennsylvania. There could be ice damage on roofs and and you have water leaking through. Yeah. I've had that happen. Uh-huh. Then you get to the prison and the guard doesn't believe him. So he says, "Go check on the warden." The warden's sitting there with some water on it. You could easily explain that as somebody spilling water on themselves. True. But because they're explaining this idea of it being a rain man and something supernatural, then they get this idea in their head and that's what they latch on to because they don't want to see something else.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: So I I could see how skeptics would think that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would explain that many police officers seeing somebody get lifted and thrown.
0: Right. And then that, yeah, that's, that is definitely not mass hysteria.
1: No. Like the water's weird enough, but seeing somebody get lifted and thrown yeah. is a whole other thing. How do you really explain something like that?
0: Right. And and it's it's enough if one officer maybe or two two officers saw it, but if they have four there wouldn't seen it, that's mm-hmm. yeah. That that that's 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 enough uh, uh corroboration for sure.
1: Don has not kept himself out of trouble though.
0: Oh I was
1: God. trying to I just did a little digging to see if there was anything else going on with him since All this had happened. Uh And there really wasn't a whole lot, but I did find that kind of recently-ish. Okay. In 2012, Don voluntarily turned himself in for arson charges. (laughs) (laughs) He allegedly set a restaurant on fire. Apparently, the owner had hired him to burn it down. So, like I said, he's he's definitely a troubled person with a troubled past and a troubled present. Yeah. So but it's a really crazy story.
0: Wow. He he went from uh from water to fire. What is he? Mm-hmm. What is he an avatar?
1: I was thinking the same thing when I read that.
0: <laughs> wow. So is he <laughs> last last you saw is he still alive right now? Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh he was he's probably a little older than us, I would say. Well, cuz in 1983 I think he was in his early 20s.
0: Oh yeah, see I was uh 83 I was only 13. So he's he's I He's probably right in, his, in his 50s or 60s. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably in his 50s or 60s right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so he's older but he's still yeah,
0: alive so alive you know if, if he could just like keep himself straight for a few minutes he can actually just like make some money going on like the paranormal circuit you know? oh
1: i know people would love to hear this they're, they're, see if you can channel it and show us again
0: yeah i mean or even just you know people people especially now that unsolved mysteries has become back has come back into the zeitgeist because of the new, new mm-hmm. show people are going to go back and watch the old show and they're going to come across and um no matter what list you look at for Unsolved Mysteries. That story is always included on a list, so his story is out there. So he he can make a out about money just going on paranormal tours and, and conventions and stuff, and doing autographs and photo ops things like that. You could he could you could have a legit life instead of oh yeah. to burn down places. You know,
1: he wasn't just on um unsolved mysteries. It was also on paranormal witness, I believe.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. See,
1: which yeah. is I think actually the first place I saw that story was on paranormal witness.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I
1: remember watching the unsolved mysteries and being like, "This is a lot cornier than I remember." It. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Early nineties.
1: <laughs> you know, uh,
0: unsolved mysteries, besides scaring the shit out of people, they're also known for their set, rather corny, uh, low-budget reenactments. Uh huh. But they they have a, a certain place in people's nostalgia, the same way that like Doctor Who has always been known for its really bad uh, special effects as well you know, like really, really bad. So it's kind of mm-hmm. the same thing. Oh, but
1: Doctor Who is so good.
0: Yeah. But but again, be, but you acknowledge the fact that the, the special effects are, aren't are that great on Doctor Who, but you look past it because you see the quality of the show. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing for Unsolved Mysteries 8.
1: But it's so bad it's entertaining it now. Is. Oh, yeah. Because you know that you took it so seriously the first time you watched it, you were like, damn.
0: And I think because because back then, since the world wasn't as connected as it is now with the internet and stuff, like at least in my mind... Watching this happen on, on TV made me think, holy crap, this person is on my street right now looking to kill somebody and I can get killed mm-hmm. if I go because he's, he's there. So I have no idea where he's at. So he's probably right, right in my neighborhood.
1: It definitely opened, I think, people's eyes to a lot of the world that they hadn't heard of before.
0: Yeah. Great story. I loved hearing about that. Uh, there were a few things that I hadn't known about from because all I know about the story is from Unsolved Mysteries. So it was cool to hear some additional items that I didn't know about. James and I recently discovered a podcast that we're now super obsessed with called Sword and Scale Podcast. Absolutely. It is the longest running true crime podcast and it combines real audio and scary stories that will chill your bones. I love the real audio parts of the podcast. They're amazing. Yeah, the, the host and creator Mike Bode expertly narrates each shocking episode to fully immerse listeners into a carefully crafted real life story that proves that the worst monsters are real. It's spanning over seven seasons and has over 160 episodes. There's so much true crime to binge. Sword and Scale is available bi-weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Go tune in and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today and be sure to leave a review. That's Sword and Scale, also available at swordandscale.com. Subscribe today and give it a listen. Sword and Scale, proving that the worst monsters are real. Okay, so let's go ahead. I'll go ahead and get on with my stories. So my first one is a UFO story. And it's one that I yeah, first saw on on Unsolved Mysteries and then later on read about it. But after I had seen it, I kind of forgot about it. Uh, cause when I, when I first saw, it, I lived on in West Texas and after I moved here, I didn't really like look into it, but after researching it for tonight, <clears throat> it like it absolutely blew my mind because the spot that this occurred is 10 miles from where I live right now. Really? Yes. When I, that's cool. When I, cause I was rereading it last night to, to, to look over it and then I, I was doing a little more research and I actually found, I found a air force transcript of when they interviewed the people. And when I was reading it, they were, they were talking about the location. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I know that damn street. I know that little town. And so reading it and looking at the map, I was like, Holy shit, that is 10 miles. I am going to go do a trip to this spot because I did not realize it was that close to me.
1: That is so cool. You should go take a picture and post that on your social media.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna do like a like a little video and stuff. And I'm gonna try because cause by now the, the spot it actually happened is uh the road it actually happened and it's gone. But I'm gonna try and find the exact spot of where it might have happened and do like a little video, make take some pictures. And James and I thought about doing like another rest stop specifically on that location since it's so close to my house. Mm-hmm. So, but the the story I'm, I'm gonna go over is the uh Cash Landrum UFO sighting of uh 1980. And uh, it occurred on December 29th, 1980, uh, and 51-year-old Betty Cash was driving through the woods, traveling from New Caney to Dayton on Farm to Market Road, 1485. So I, I live five minutes from New Caney, and I take 1485 all the time. But she was accompanied by her friend, Vicky Landrum, who was 57 years old, and Vicky's seven-year-old grandson, Kobe. So they had come into town from Dayton to look for a bingo game, but found that because it was so close to the holidays, everything was closed. Damn it. I know. You know, there's nothing like a, a Texas tradition of playing bingo after Christmas. <laughs> 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 so on on the way back, they stopped at a restaurant and apparently from what I could, what I saw in the, uh, the transcript, the restaurant was off of 59 and 1495, which again is super close by and they stopped and then they, we're driving home through a section of uh, Houston, or I guess you can call them New Caney, that was called the Piney Woods. Now, of course, now the this area is a little more developed, but there is still quite a large wooded area on that road. So while they were driving, uh, they, they saw a light in the distance uh, above the trees. And in a few short minutes, this light became a glowing object, slowly crossing across the, the tops of the tall pine trees. The area that they were in was very densely uh, occupied by pine and oak trees, as well as uh, some swamps. As they proceeded, they thought initially it was an, an airplane or a helicopter because the one of the largest airports, Bush, is like 35 miles from here. So I see planes all the time. Matter of fact, that's one of the banes of living here is when James and I are recording, occasionally there will be an airplane that flies over the house, a 747 jet. So we have to stop because it's loud as hell.
1: So it makes sense for them to initially think that...
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, but a few minutes later, they saw what they believed to be the same light as before, but it was much closer and brighter. They said that the light came from a huge diamond-shaped object, which hovered above the treetop level, and that its base was expelling flame and emitting a significant amount of heat. They could also hear the constant beeping sound as the strange craft spit out its fiery downspot. Now, Betty Cash describes what happened next. She says, We didn't know what it was, but we knew there was something that was lighting up the sky. We had begun to feel heat, and all of a sudden, Vicky screamed for me to stop. And when I stopped, she lurched forward, and the heat was so intense that she left a handprint embedded in the dash of her car. At that point, she gets out to see what it is. Go ahead.
1: She left a handprint in the dash of her car, so what, she, like, melted it? Yeah, the heat,
0: heat was so intense that the dash was actually beginning to melt
1: dang that's intense
0: so when she put her hand on it it was already so soft that she left a uh, handprints in there so then uh, betty got out to take a look at it she said as i walked as i got out walked over towards the front of the car i stood there looking up trying to figure out what this object was it was diamond shaped object then at the bottoms flames were shooting out the heat was tremendous it just felt like i was burning from the inside out when i reached for the door handle the door handle was so hot i couldn't even begin to hold it I was more than scared. The only thing I was thinking was, are we going to get out of here alive? Now, at the same time, uh, Vicky and Kobe decided to get out of the car, but Kobe was so scared that Vicky took him back in and yelled for Betty to get back inside the car. But as she stood there watching it, suddenly the sky was full of helicopters. Betty said that they rushed in from all directions. It seemed like they were trying to encircle this thing. She assumed they were from Tomball Airfield, which was northwest of Houston, or Ellington Air Force Base, which is south of Houston. Apparently, there were huge Chinook helicopters. There were about 22 of them that showed. They counted 22 that showed up in the area.
2: Good.
1: Those are the, the big ones that look like double helicopters. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right? So 22 of those big ass things in your sky.
1: That's a lot. That's the, a lot. They're so loud. They too. Are. Hearing one is super loud. I can't imagine what 22 would be like.
0: And at that time, the object lifted into the air and proceeded to the Southwest with the helicopter in pursuit. Now, after that event, for years, Betty, Vicky, and Kobe battled with the government to try to get answers as to what they saw that night. They also fought against mysterious illnesses whose symptoms appeared just hours after the encounter. According to Vicki Landrum, later that night at around 1 a.m., Kobe woke up crying. He was begging for water. He had a fever and he was vomiting all over the bed. So it, it kind of sounds like radiation poisoning. Yeah. I mean, kid. Yeah. The next morning, Vicky and Kobe were still suffering from nausea and what appeared to be several case uh, or severe case of sunburn and Betty was in, in even worse shape. Her temperature was dangerously high and large red welts had appeared on her face and hands. So immediately this is, I mean, this is severe cases of, of, of radiation yeah. poisoning. Yeah. Um, It sounds
1: like people around kind of like around Hiroshima.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When
1: they were just on the outskirts where they didn't get the immediate burn, but they got the fallout.
0: Fallout. Exactly. And over the next four days, Betty's condition grew more serious. Vicky finally convinced her to see a doctor in Houston who immediately admitted Betty into the hospital. Three weeks later, she underwent treatment for acute radiation poisoning. She was in the hospital for six weeks. She lost more than 50% of her hair and patches of skin on her face.
1: Poor freaking woman.
0: I know. The doctor who treated her, Dr. Brian McClelland, said there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Betty was exposed to high doses of radiation. As to what the source was, I can't exactly say. Now, after she was released from the hospital, Betty asked for help from UFO investigator John Schisler, 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 a former NASA project manager who said that... Done, they did several interviews with Betty and Vicky, and they even went to the location where it happened. The two of them were very clear on where it happened and how it happened. They told them exactly where on, along the road it stopped because there were markers that identified the spot. They were able to point out exactly what, where they saw the object coming down out of the sky over the road and hovering there. They were able to point out a spot on the road that indicated there had been that it had been heated to an extreme level of heating.
1: I was just about to ask if there was, if it was heating the car like that, what else was yes.
0: burnt? And, and, and that's another thing that um, I believe they, I think, I think I mentioned here, but they found tops of trees that had been scorched certain parts of that area. The trees don't grow past a certain height because apparently the object, whatever it did when it burned it, it, it killed the top of the trees. The part on the asphalt that had a, a large black circle from the exhaust was somehow at some point eventually removed and repaved.
1: What the heck is going on with this spaceship man cuz aren't they trying to be subtle when they come in if they're coming <laughs> and blasting off big old flames and shooting radiation everywhere they are failing at subtlety. Yeah. Well it, this one it almost sounds like almost sounds like it was having some kind of mechanical malfunction.
0: Yeah, that that's it's what it It's going to have too. that
1: kind of flames and radiation. Sounds like something's not working right.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like it has some sort of exhaust issue or some sort of... Uh, Who
1: would have thought exhaust on a spaceship? <laughs> Except for the Jetsons. Everybody knew the Jetsons had their little poop boop, boop,
0: boop, boop. You know, if it was diamond shape, it's probably more like the sports model type spaceship and, and <laughs> it just had a bad exhaust or something. So <laughs> what happens when you put aftermarket parts on your spaceship, man. Got
1: to be more careful.
0: You got you to use factory parts. So some of the witnesses that watched this happen, so there were other, other witnesses that saw the ship, not in that area, but later that night, they saw it, said people in unmarked trucks dug up the road, put the materials on the trucks, covered it with a tarp, and drove away. John Schisler also questioned everyone living within five miles of the area, and at least 10 people had seen the objects, seven or eight other had seen the helicopters, and their descriptions were all very similar to what Betty and Vicky had described. Now, one witness was police officer L.L. Walker, who was in the area on the night that Betty and Vicky encountered the object. He said, my wife Marie and I were returning from my mother and dad's house as we were coming out of some tree lines. We saw, I saw a helicopter. It was shining a spotlight at the ground. Then I heard the noise of other helicopters behind it. I stopped the car because I don't know what was going on. The helicopters were military, and they were all flying fairly low to the ground, and all of them had search beams on. I thought maybe there was an airplane down, but they didn't hesitate. They kept going in the same direction, which was probably, which would probably intersect the area where Vicky saw her said her encounter was. Convinced that the military was somehow involved, Betty and Vicky appealed to their senators, and the Air Force agreed to meet with them at Berksham Air Force Base. And this is where I got the transcript from. The transcript um, is actually. Oh you know, what? speaking of which I didn't I didn't give my sources. So my sources of course is Unsolved mysteries of course, but also the the transcript, the official transcript which can be found on uh cufon.org and it's like it's like two pages and you can you can read the entire transcript of the Air Force interview. It's actually just it's fascinating. Yeah, so as as they entered the room, Vicky noticed a large map. And on the map, the exact spot where the encounter had occurred was already clearly marked.
1: So they already knew.
0: Mm hmm. So they, they, now, it's kind of dumb on their part because they're, later on they're going to deny it. But if you're going to deny it, don't bring the witnesses into a room with a big ass map with it already marked.
2: Uh huh.
0: Take, take them to another room or take the map out. Simple as that. Now, according to Betty and Vicki, they were questioned for more than two hours. And the interview was recorded by a military stenographer in the end the two men denied that any military or government operation had been conducted at that time and place the women were told they were entitled to file a claim and that the air force would review the case but four weeks later betty and vicky's claim for medical damages was denied and that's the whole reason they went to the air force anyway it wasn't to get answers as to what it was they just wanted the air force to say yes this was something we did by accident and then they wanted the air force to pay for all their medical bills cause they had-
1: right right because they probably had a lot of them at that point with the kind of burns and
0: Oh, tons of them. Oh, the, the two women and even, you know, Kobe had some issues too. So they, they wanted to get help paying for all these medical bills. They didn't want the Air Force to say that, yeah, they, you know, it was a UFO or whatever. They just wanted help. And the Air Force said, nope, screw you. It wasn't us. Sounds
1: um, about right.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what was it that Betty, Vicki, and Kobe saw that night in Texas sky? Well, Shustler offered two explanations. One is that it was an experimental craft of some kind, probably from our government. And the other was that it was a UFO, possibly extraterrestrial. As much as I want to believe that it's a UFO, I'm probably leaning more towards government experiment. And as you mentioned before, with some sort of malfunction that caused like an irradiation leakage.
1: Yeah. You said diamond shaped. What would be diamond shaped?
0: I don't know. Because uh, there, there's also like, there's a lot of, uh, in the UFO lore, there's there's mentions of what's called the Nazi bell, which was like a supposedly a a acorn or bell-shaped aircraft that was developed Mm -hmm. in World War II that's supposed to be able to fly at supersonic speeds or whatever. And so I I think the I think the I think black market or the black market, the uh yeah black market government um or black project governments are experimenting with wingless aircraft for more aerodynamic purposes. But I I think the aircraft landing on the road in front of them was completely just bad luck and that it was coming in low because it thought it was going to crash. And so it came down to an opening area because it couldn't, it couldn't land in the trees. It was it were too dense. Mm-hmm. And it was just bad timing to where where it happened to land on the road was right where, you know, it, of all nights, a car happened to be on that dark road. You know, uh, Vicky Lenders says that um, she doesn't believe in Little Green Man and that it had to be an object. It had to be a spacecraft that the government was carrying, but that it belonged to the government. So B- Betty, Vicky, and Kobe continued to battle illnesses that doctors say could be the result of massive radiation exposure. And Betty had been diagnosed with several types of cancer. She, Vicky, and Kobe all had white blood cell counts that were far below normal. Their immune systems had difficulty fighting off even minor infections.
1: <sighs> that stinks.
0: Especially for poor Kobe. You know, poor kid. Yeah. Uh, Vicki had visual problems and there were a lot of suggestions that they may be related to radiation as well, but that depends on the kind of exposure. Um, and Dr. Dr. McClellan just once says, we need someone to tell us what kind of exposure they have so they can, so they can help figure out how to treat them. Uh, Betty cash said all that she wants is information to, that could help her medically. Was well, what she said at the time. It says, if it's a top secret object that's protecting the U.S then I could say I, I could forgive them for that, but at least they owe us. They owe us to tell us exactly why we were burned and what type of radiation we were exposed to and how much. I mean, that, that's pretty, you know, that's, that's not a lot of information they need. I mean, it's, no,
1: and if it at least helps them get some kind of medical treatment.
0: Yeah, exactly. At least the right kind of medical treatment. Yeah. At least. Now, after the incident, Betty Cash was hospitalized for cancer treatments at least once every year, all the way through... When she died in at 69, 18 years after the incident. Coincidentally, she died coincidentally 18 years to the day after the incident occurred.
1: Ooh, that is weird.
0: Yeah. Vicky passed away in 2007. Uh, Kobe is still alive, but he is still uh, suffering from medical maladies. And he's still hoping that there will be answers to the incident. Of course, the U.S. uh, The Air Force declined to be interviewed for any story, whether it was Unsolved Mysteries or not. And their official position is that there was no military or government operation occurred. Investigators later located Detective Walker and his wife, who gave their account of seeing 12 Chinook-style helicopters in the same area that night. And also, one day in April 1981, a CH-47 helicopter flew into Dayton. As Kobe watched, he became very upset. Vicky decided to take him to the spot where the helicopter had landed with the hope that he would be less frightened of it. But when reaching the landing zone, they found a lot of people were already there and had to wait some time before they were allowed to go inside the hospital and talk to the uh, hospital and tell the helicopter and talk to the pilot. Vicky and another visitor both claimed that the pilot said he had he had been in the area before for the purpose of checking on a UFO in trouble near Huffman. This is uh, six months. um, No, five months after the event happened that they're hearing this from the pilot. When Landrum, when Vicky told the pilot how glad she was to see him because she had been one of the people burned by the UFO, he refused to talk to them any further and hustled them out of the aircraft.
1: Why would he even open his mouth in the first place about something like that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people get fired for less than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting coincidence was that this occurred just one day after the Rendlesham Forest incident in England. Are you familiar with Rendlesham Forest?
1: Oh, probably. That was a pretty, there were several witnesses to that one also, weren't there? Yeah, all military. That was like near a military base and it's considered like a really haunted forest too. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens there. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. uh, yeah, That happened just after that. So whether or not that had, that was uh, part of the same UFO that was seen, no idea, but it's interesting that it happened very close proximity to that particular very famous case. Eventually, Cash and Landrum contacted the U.S. Senators Lloyd Benson and John Tower, who suggested that the witnesses file a complaint with Judge Advocate Claims Office at Berksham Air Force. And in August 1981, Cash, Landrum, and Kobe were interviewed at length by the personnel at the base and were told that they should hire a lawyer and seek financial compensation for their injuries. With their attorney, Peter Gersten, taking on the case pro bono, the case found its way through the U.S. court for several years Cash and Landrum sued the U.S. government for $20 million, and on August 21, 1986, the U.S. District Court judge dismissed their case, noting that the plaintiffs had not proved that the helicopters were associated with the U.S. federal government and that military officials had testified that the U.S. Air Force or U.S. Armed Forces did not have a large, diamond-shaped aircraft in their possession.
1: Where else are these helicopters coming from? It's not like citizens just have those chilling all over the place.
0: I mean, if it was now, I could, I'd probably say they belong to Elon Musk. But I'm back then.
1: Twenty-two of them, and they're gonna show up on radar. So there has to be some kind of
0: yeah. They're, they're, right. Not, they're not Blackhawks who, who you know who don't show up on radar. They're, they're freaking right. Chinooks. Yeah.
1: So there had to be evidence of what they saw. Somebody's not telling something.
0: Yes. And somebody's not looking hard enough for that particular... Because they had to be on... Mm-hmm. on, on especially if there's that close to Bush, they would have been on Bush radar as well. Yeah. So all you have to do is subpoena the radar records from that night from Bush. And you would have found... You probably would have found all the helicopters on there.
1: And you would have been able to see what kind of a, a path that they were taking. Where yep. did they come from? Where and did that originate?
0: You might have also seen their call numbers, which have, would have indicated whether they were civilian or military. Mm -hmm. This lawyer did not do his job correctly, or at least to the full extent of his ability. So she telephoned a bunch of U.S. government agencies and and officials about the encounter. Uh, When she telephoned NASA, she was steered towards NASA engineer John Schusler, who had a long interest in UFOs, who helped to get into the case. Now, due to the Chinook's helicopter's presence, of course, they all believed that at least one branch of the U.S. Armed Forces witnessed the object. If they were not escorting it or pursuing it, though, they they weren't sure which one it was, whether they were escorting or pursuing. I would probably say pursue, uh, escorting because it didn't seem to be because you don't send you don't send Chinooks to pursue a craft.
1: Yeah, you would need something faster.
0: Yes, usually because a lot of times you hear it all the time. I mean, Navy and, and whatnot, they scramble jets. Yep. Yeah. And so. these
1: things still get away.
0: Exactly. So you're not you're you're going to use even if you have helicopters nearby, you're going to scramble maybe like a black hawk or something Something
1: yeah you're not using some big slow ass helicopter
0: (laughs) no not at all in 1982 lieutenant colonel george seren of the department of army inspector general began the only thorough formal governmental investigation into the supposed ufo encounter he could not find any evidence that the helicopter's witness claimed to have been to have belonged to the u.s armed forces he stated that mish landrum and miss cash were credible the policeman and his wife, who saw the 12 helicopters just prior to the event, were also credible witnesses. But there is no perception that anyone was trying to exaggerate the truth. Now, there, of course, are a couple of skeptics who've come out and found a few holes to poke in the story. One noted skeptic, Philip J. Class, stated that when uh, Schuster inspected Betty's car in 81 and used a Geiger counter to check the radioactivity, he found none. Presumably, he also checked the radioactivity when he visited the site of the incident and found no abnormal radiation. He provides no medical data on Betty's health prior to the UFO incident, nor does he provide any medical data on the on the prior health of Vicky or Kobe. Which, okay, it's a little suspect as far as, you know, not looking to their health prior. But I would say that the, the lack of radiation on the car and the road spot is, is a little bit damning, I would say.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, if it's that bad to to damage their cells that badly. Yeah. Unless I mean, it's if it is from if it's otherworldly and it's a type of radiation that we don't understand yet.
0: And, and that points to it being more of a of a extraterrestrial UFO as opposed to government though because I mm-hmm. I mean even if we have, you know, unknown elements and that are black project, I don't think they'd have that that fast of of a half-life or whatever. Another skeptic, uh, Stuart Campbell, suggested that the witnesses may have observed a mirage of canopus, which lay exactly in line with the road, although it was 26 degrees below the horizon at the time and location.
1: I think they're going to know the difference between a mirage and a whole bunch of fire right in front of their face.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure and a
1: giant freaking diamond hovering over their heads. There's yeah. a difference. You can tell.
0: And, and e- even, even if they had some sort of prior health condition, a mirage would not cause spontaneous, you know, appearance of red welts and burned skin and vomiting. Right. Yeah. Other UFO researchers point out that the high energy ionization radiation of the kind that can cause da- damage to human beings, such as gamma radiation, does not include radioactivity in objects and would not have left behind any res- res- residual There we go. radioactivity in the area.
1: Ooh, see, there we go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't gamma radiation the same thing that made first banner the Hulk?
0: yes it is it is so
1: and captain america captain america
0: no captain america was a super serum uh, super soldier serum
1: right but isn't that what well i guess that was bruce banner was trying to
0: yeah bruce banner was trying trying to figure that out trying to figure out the serum but then he ended up getting uh, doused with gamma radiation on top of that but uh captain america got the perfected version of that serum yeah, so Captain America got the, got the perfected version first, and then, according to the comics anyway, the serum was lost, and so Banner was trying to recreate it, and then while trying to recreate it, got doused with uh, gamma radiation and turned to a very, very angry individual. Yeah, so that is the story of the Cash Land UFO, which apparently I just realized happened 10 minutes from here, so I'm going to go visit it.
1: That's cool. I've never heard that story before.
0: No, and I remember um, watching it as a kid. It scared the hell out of me because... You know, they do the recreation or whatever, and they they do that part in the recreation where the car stops and she leans forward. They did a good job of recreating the handprint in the dashboard. That always freaked me out because, like, I always worried that, again, being a kid, being before Internet, I always figured that everything I saw on Unsolved Mysteries was going to happen to me at some point. Mm -hmm. So I was waiting for my occurrence to where my hand was going to go through the dashboard, (sighs) a melted dashboard. (laughs) It never happened, of course, but... It didn't mean that I wasn't scared it was going to happen yet. Uh, Yet. Okay. Yeah. Yet. All right. Well, this was a ton of fun, Emily.
1: I had a great time. Sorry. I love these stories.
0: Yeah. And, and and unsolved mysteries has so many more uh, stories. Like go, go check out on Amazon. Um, There's 12 seasons of Robert stack unsolved mysteries. You can go down the rabbit hole on tell everybody, tell everybody about your podcast again and where they can find it.
1: We are Drink Drunk Dead. We do booze and
0: booze. Booze and booze. I love that.
1: You can find us pretty much anywhere that you listen.
0: And you guys have like merch and Patreon and stuff going on right now?
1: Uh, we do. We have merch on Tee Public, which we've got some really fun stuff. Some of it inspired by you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We have a, a Patreon with multiple tiers and some pretty fun perks that come along with it. Nice. And then we have our social media. Don't go for anything but Twitter because I'm too lazy to do anything else anymore. <laughs>
0: man, social media sucks, man. It so it's so hard. It's too much. Oh. And if you're not on it all the time, you just get you get like shoved aside. You can disappear amongst everything else. And just like, uh-huh. ugh. But yeah, go check them out. It's a great show. Her and Joel are absolutely hilarious at their back and forth. And uh, their mispronunciations of places like Humble. It has an H at the front. I <laughs> <laughs> I was telling my wife about that because she had somebody else who did the same thing. I'm like, I know it's just Texas presumptuous way to to have to silence the ace like we're British or something, you know.
1: No, that's that's a very like Connecticut thing where they don't, they say quadas and they don't put the.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Quadas?
1: Instead of a quarter, it's a
0: quada. Quada? Okay, it's a quada yep yeah but go check them out uh, anywhere you can find podcasts a uh, great show again go check out their merch for sure and go check out their patreon and you can find also state of fear same places as well all the places you can find your podcast we have a t public store as well we have a patreon as well um go check out all Coffee. the extra content we have on there copycat <laughs> actually we got us out first yeah, <laughs> by like a whole week, so you're copying us. But yeah, go check us out, and um, thanks again for listening. I hope you guys had fun. We had a lot of fun looking at these cases, and uh, hopefully, we can get together and do that movie one pretty soon.
1: Oh, I would love to. It'd
0: be it'd be uh, a lot longer than this, which I think right now is like a two hours. So <laughs> we'll have to schedule <laughs> a whole day aside for that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we will check you all later. Uh, y'all have a good night.
1: Thank you.